listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Thank you for joining me on this exciting episode. I'm really excited about this show that you're going to hear shortly. We have two repeat guests. Both of them have done a great job as past guests on our show. We've got Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, they produce a podcast called the Thought Leadership Project Podcast. Now, both of them work in the legal industry. However, the concepts that they share with us are not unique to legal. If you're in any sort of professional services or B2B sales, you're going to get some great content today. Our topic is adding value beyond the billable hour, which what that means is how do you really get to know your clients better? What are the things that you can do to really build that relationship? As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, legal intelligence suite of products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And also, a personal request. If you've got a minute, I'd always appreciate a nice five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your show. That helps us in terms of our rankings. Now, if there's somebody that you've listened to before where that guest said something that gave you a great idea that resulted in some sort of a change or an improvement, I'd always appreciate it if you'd mention that guest by name. Thanks for listening, and I hope you get some great ideas from my interview with Tom and Jay today. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Our guests today are good friends of mine, people that we've had on the show before, Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon. And today our topic is adding value beyond the billable hour. Jay and Tom, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Scott. This is great. It's nice. I love your podcast, The Thought Leadership Project. It's really uh, solid. There's some great ideas there for professional services providers to listen to. But today we're talking about adding value beyond the billable hour. As soon as you get a client, just like we all know, just like Don Draper said in Mad Men, the day you sign a client is the day you start to lose them because there's always going to be somebody else trying to get that client. So kind of give me some big rocks in the bucket, so to speak. What are some of the things that you've seen people that you work with do that can really enhance that relationship with their clients? Yeah. All right, Scott, I'll I'll kick this off. This is Jay. And uh, I think that this all starts, the ability to add value beyond the billable hour, it really starts with having a, a deep understanding of your client, right? Its needs, its objectives, its pain points. And oftentimes, you know, at the, at the outset of a new client relationship, lawyers do a really good job. You know, they're, they're moving mountains on behalf of that client. They're jumping when they call. They're trying to really understand their business. But, you know, as in any relationship, things tend to Kind of, you know, you, you tend to lose sight of some of those important aspects of relationship nurturing and development over time. So just maintaining a focus on deeply understanding what's going on at your client, understanding their business is, is critically important. And that more than anything requires conversation, spending time together, asking lots of questions. And this is a, an example of, you know, things that you're doing beyond the billable hour. Some of this may be in the context of your billable work, but you also need to be proactive to, for example, you know, this time of year, do a fourth quarter business review or a first quarter business review. Uh, go see the client, you know, walk around their facility, um, have conversations with a broad cross-section of people, not just necessarily your client contact, to really understand what their objectives are so that you can start contextualizing your legal advice for their business, uh, more specifically, 
And, you know, one of the things that does as well is it shows that you're invested in the relationship. And oftentimes I feel like it, it leads to new work as well, right? Because you're understanding what other challenges they have, which gives you opportunities to do things like cross-sell your colleagues and their capabilities in order to meet a more diverse set of a client's needs. So I think as a starting point, as we think about, you know, a rock to think about is being proactive in terms of deeply understanding your client business, which means investing time beyond the billable hour to understand what those needs are. This is great. I mean, you gave us some good structure here for our conversation. And I like the fact that you say spending time together, asking questions, meeting people in person, seeing them, walking through the facility, things like that. Do you think we should do this for a certain number of our clients, all of our clients? What do you think? Should we kind of triage them into different tiers, so to speak? How, how have you given structure to the people you work with in terms of going forward on this? For sure. I think there is some prioritization that's required because it depends. Everyone's practice is different. I mean, someone might have 100 clients, someone else might have 10. Someone with 10 might be able to give that sort of devoted attention in person, you know, spending significant time together to all of those clients. But if you have a more eclectic or broader mix of clients, then you, you do definitely have to prioritize. And those clients that you perceive as of highest potential, well, then they're probably going to get more of your personalized time and attention. So I do think that there's sort of this qualitative analysis that needs to go into your client mix and seeing you know which, which clients deserve that form of uh, personal investment that might include you getting on an airplane and doing a, a site visit. Now, on the other hand, you know all clients deserve some attention. So it might be a phone call. It might be a Zoom call. It might just be email correspondence. But in any case, you know, having some system in place that allows you to understand what's happening in the business beyond you know, the phone call you get to handle a legal matter on a periodic basis is really important. Okay, that's great. And, and I'm going to come to you. I've got a question for you, Tom, about kind of a marketing person's perspective on this. But that's something I've always seen as well, Jay. I don't think a lot of times you can predict where the business is coming from. If people did, well, how do I know this is going to work? Well, you have to, you, you don't know it. it is, but you have to do it anyways. And you have to do this, 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 and this, and this. And then, you know, over time, something's going to hit. And that's something I've always seen is that every time I go meet a client in person, I did that yesterday in New York, met with a new client, met with an existing client. Boy, we got a lot of opportunities that just came out of that conversation. The Friday before I had a golf outing with another client and just by hanging out, by talking about things, well, tell me about this. What are you doing in Miami? You know, things like that. But you know what? I actually know some people. You know, we, we should talk more about that. And I don't think that it is with any certainty, any guarantee, it's about probabilities. How do we get better odds? Uh, Tom, let me ask you this. In terms of getting better odds of keeping that client's perspective of you are the one that can solve the problems, is there anything that professionals should do kind of from a marketing perspective that can continue to add value beyond the billable hour with our clients? Yep. And what you just described is what Jay often refers to as um, serendipity or planned serendipity, right? Yeah. And so in terms of marketing, well, I'll come back to marketing, but it's somewhat related because I wanted to just emphasize something Jay said at the end of his prior remarks, and that's the word process. And so this can't be a New Year's resolution that, you know, in the new year, I'm going to get better about this. You know, just like in the new year, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to do all these wonderful things in the new year. There has to be processes and systems put in place, both documented and then 
complied with. So followed by all. So clearly written, clearly documented, followed by all. And everybody should be doing it. And that takes out some of that mystery that you asked about. Mm -hmm. Should it be all clients? Should it be some clients? Should it be these clients? Jay just set up a very intuitive tiered approach. But that should be I think in writing, and I think it should be rolled out by the BD team. And I think because if you ask a busy attorney to get to this when you have time, then it'll never happen, right? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. And so as you guys were talking, I was thinking, you know, you mentioned the Mad Men quote about losing a client. Have you ever, ever either of you ever lost a happy client? So like the, the intuitive right. or the, the gut <laughs> reaction is going to be no, but I right. have, I have all the time. Those are the ones that are really the gut punches because that's you're right. like, this is a good client. They're happy. They, but for this reason, they had to either cut back or they're going with another agency or there's some now politics involved because they've merged and there's an incumbent, whatever it might be. But if you have the processes in place to do the things that we're talking about, you know, very purposeful touch points, it could be marketing. It could be just one-to-one as Jay was describing, but you have to do that on a regular basis because that becomes all the more difficult for those happy clients to say, geez, Tom, I, I wish we weren't talking about this, but, and so I think marketing allows you, marketing is no different than what Jay described, but, but it's the same thing at scale. So marketing allows you to do things like touch points. So newsletters, written thought leadership, you know, that gives your BD team or your attorneys or whoever it is material to purposely and consistently on a cadence touch the prospects in your existing clients are always prospects. I like that word when you said cadence, that gives a real tangible kinesthetic way to think about this, that there has to be a rhythm. There has, I mean, I would even say the word ritual, Yes. where let your habits guide you. That's key to success. I don't feel like performing at a high level, so I have certain habits that help me to execute. And then once you execute, then you start feeling like you can do it, but you have to take action. And I like that cadence. Uh, what are some examples of people that you've worked with where you started working with them they didn't do anything like this. You worked with them. You gave them ideas. They did things. And then they've got the payoff. Kind of tell me that arc. Tell me a story of somebody that you've worked with where they've done this and they've seen results. And what results did they see? I'll give you a common example. It's not even a specific example because it's happened so many times when I start working with the firm. When I say, tell me about your, your database of prospects and clients. Uh, well, it's kind of messy. We don't really have one. You know, the partners have theirs and the senior associates have theirs, but it's not all like centralized and there's no back to your, the word that you like, there's no cadence around it. So we're not doing, you're not doing a, a newsletter, like the most basic comment. No, no, no. So you get them, you just do the blocking and tackling, you know, with a firm that just hasn't put any process or cadence to this. Right. And then it's not long before they start realizing, I get comments all the time. Huh, this marketing thing actually works. LOL, LOL. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but you have to actually, uh, your point, take action. So it's not a specific example, but that's a common example is when you start and they just don't have the basics in place. Yeah, that's great. How about you, Jay? What, what are some people you've thought yeah. of, that you've worked with? Yeah, sure. So um, let me just, before getting to that specific example, um, if we stick on this process and cadence point, a couple of things that are real tactical that people might implement that I talk to my clients about. I mean, one is the development of a key contact list. So you know, many of us have hundreds, if not thousands of contacts within our network, if we include things like social media. So it's impossible, though, to keep up with on a 
personalized one-to-one interaction basis with that many people, obviously. And and so what you need to do is prioritize among your contact list. I recommend people develop a key contact list with no more than say 20 to at most 30 people on that list. The reason for that is because you know you need to identify your highest potential relationships. Those might be existing clients, they might be colleagues within your firm, referral sources, professionals in adjacent service areas. These are people who, you know, deepening and nurturing the relationship has a high potential payoff. And those are the people you want to put on your list. And the reason 20 to 30, I think, is a good number is it approximates the number of business days every month. And so my recommendation is, you know, rather than trying to do this flurry of business development activity sporadically, just do a little bit every day. Reach out to one person on your key contact list look to add value, you know, getting back to the add value beyond the billable hour. And that might be just a simple touch point, sending them an email with a helpful article, checking in with them to follow up on an item that maybe you hadn't closed the loop on previously. Just, you know, having a conversation about what's going on in their business. All of these things allow you to stay in front of people on a consistent basis to address what you identified previously, Scott, which is the unpredictability of demand for professional services. Because it very oftentimes is the person who's there at the moment when that unpredictable opportunity arises that that gets that opportunity. And I know I'll give you an example of how that works. I have a client, a coaching client. They really hadn't been doing much. They were a newly elected partner within the firm. Uh, The firm has a process in place where they give their new shareholders or partners coaching support. I provide that support for this firm. And in that conversation, just going through this process of like, just pick 20 of your contacts and pick up the phone and, and make a phone call. And, you know, he was a little bit skeptical. I don't want to bother them. You know, what's that conversation going to be like? This is going to seem transparent. But he, he made the call. They had a good conversation. And he walked away from that call with a new matter. The simple fact was this contact at the client had a legal issue that was buried in a long to-do list. And they just hadn't gotten around to assigning it to any other attorney yet. And so the fact that he called did his client a favor. You know, he saw it as an opportunity to get an item off his to-do list, which otherwise would have just lingered there. And it was just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. So, you know, it doesn't need to be anything super substantive or sometimes it sometimes it should be, but sometimes it's just checking in at the right moment and seeing if, you know, you can be of any assistance. And that oftentimes results in this type of opportunity. And, you know, one other thing that I would add, you know, if we talk about cadence and process, it's that there are opportunities like this that are all over the place. And oftentimes they're with your existing clients. And so what I recommend is you look at your invoices from the last 12 to 18 months. Who's a client you haven't heard from in, in the last three months? Reach out to them, right? Go through that process periodically. Um, your existing clients are the oftentimes the best opportunity for new business. And so just you know, go back through, identify who you haven't heard from in a while, reach out. You'll be surprised at how often that results in a new opportunity. This is great. And, and I could, that's yeah, that's can an I just piggyback story. off of that. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, go for it. Because it's it's exactly relevant to what Jay just said. Is I would also make a list, as long as you're making a list of six of these happy ex clients that I talked about, right? So these are the clients that for whatever reason had to go in a different direction. You never know when that person ends up at another firm. You never know when that either existing political incumbent that kind of forced a wedge between you and that ex client goes away. I've had three 
quote unquote, happy ex-clients come back as clients in the year 2023. And I specifically, and the reason I'm picking six, Jay, is because you can reach out to one per month. That's all it takes. And you do that twice a year. And you're staying in front of those people twice a year. And you never know when they're going to come back around. That's great, Tom. It's so interesting. I remember when I was in my late 20s, I'd started recruiting. I was in a different niche. This is back in 95, before the internet, where I had to fax resumes. I was recruiting in the commercial construction industry with companies like Gilbane, Hunt Construction Group, companies like that. I was living in Phoenix. And one of my new clients, I happened to run into him at our church. We saw him. We got to know him. He invited me to his office and I have lunch the next week. And I was there. And he took me around and introduced me to several key executives in the office. And each one said, you know what? I have a need for someone like this. I have a need for someone like this. I walked away with so much work just by being there and being referred by someone that they trusted. And I didn't even have any strategy, but I realized, wow, this is like jackpot, you know? And so I think that, and I'm going to ask you this, I'm going to kind of put down, how can we write down certain activities people can do? And then I think one thing we can do, maybe not today, but maybe this could be something we could talk about later, like gamify it. If we could have a certain activity worth a certain point value, and the goal is to get a, you know, let's say 50 points a week. And once you hit 50 points, so I would say an in-person meeting, that's got to be worth 40 points. Yeah. I would give that a 40 point. You know, you're almost at 50, you know, and each email is worth two points. You send five emails. Here's an article I wrote. I thought you might like to read this. And I have one client meeting. I'm done, man. I hit my 50 points. You know, what would be some of the higher value point items that we could put down? If we want to get our 50 points a week, what would be like two or three actions we can do to really kind of tilt the odds in our favor? But I think the 40 points for an in-person meeting is spot on for one. I also like this idea because I talked earlier about compliance, again, and asking busy attorneys to comply with yet another process or busy, any kind of service professional. And they're already selling hours, right? So they're like, I got to give away an hour now to do this. Yes, you do. (laughs) And it's going to be fun, though, because there's going to be a friendly competition and there's going to be points earned and we're going to have a scoreboard. I even like that scoreboard. So I would say 40 points for in-person. I would say if we're only, uh, I would say then 20 for a phone call, Jay. How would you? And then, you know, an email should get two, you know, I think. And maybe a social media comment or like gets one. Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, I think, you know, we think about the potential value in person. You know, you have the opportunity to meet in person. That's probably the most valuable interaction. I think phone call probably next. Email touchpoint is probably, you know, the one that's going to have its lowest friction for you as, as an individual who's doing the business development, but maybe has the least impact. But obviously that, that varies. And I would, if we were to gamify this, I think I would definitely optimize for activity versus result. You know, uh, absolutely. It, it's more the activity than, than the result of any particular activity. Um, because the results will, I think, will come over time. So that's that's probably. I would maybe Jay just to, I would eliminate results as a metric at all. Absolutely yeah, right. right. Yeah, the wins will be celebrated anyway because yeah. you're going to see the wins. But yeah. yeah, and if you're thinking about it, I mean, I, I usually because I get asked this question a lot. It's like, okay, you know, I'm devoted to business development. I've got my key contacts. Like, okay, I know I need to do value added interactions with them. Like, what does that look like? And I usually tell them just for ease of having a kind of a three part formula here. You know, think in terms of invitations, right? What can you, you know, invite, invite someone to lunch? Sure. Invite them to a webinar, invite them to an event that's happening with the firm. So that, that would be one bucket. The next would be insights, whether that be content uh, that you are creating yourself or curating on behalf of that client and within like an industry, that would be a second. And then introductions. I think this is probably the most overlooked 
aspect of you know value-added interactions, but who are two people in your network who should know one another? How can they benefit from knowing each other? Like make those introductions, be that super connector of people. You know, as, as we all know, that, that can be a really powerful form of network building and, and adding value to multiple people at once. So that, that's how I would generally think about, you know, how do I do this consistently? You can think there's going to be one-off, you know, really contextualized actions you take, but those three buckets, I think, will, will get you far. I love that. Events, insights, and introductions. We could call those the themes of each of the avenues. And I like that idea. If you guys want to, I mean, I'm, I'm happy if you take that for your BD coaching, come up with a game and have a leaderboard and things like that. And I really believe that I'm a big proponent of having a good process in place or for our Canadian friends process, having a good process in place and focusing on the actions and the results will take care of themselves over time. Keep track of the results, but if you do the right things with the right intention and the right frequency, you're going to get the right results. And I do think, so if we went back to the points, in-person meeting, 40 points, phone call, 20, what about a Zoom meeting? How much do you think a Zoom meeting would be? Would that be kind of like half between a phone call and in-person? What do you think? That sounds about right. Yeah. And sometimes already, you know, sometimes geography prohibits in person, right? You've got a yeah. client in Texas and your office is in Detroit. I mean, you're actually going to pop over, right? So, yeah. So, Zoom, yeah, I think that's fair. And I just got to point out, Jay, I mean, beautiful. Uh, it's not alliteration because it's it's vowels, but invites, insights, and introductions. I'm a sucker for that. Good job. <laughs> the three N's. That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember, what about dinners? When I, I found with the lunch, People are keeping it to an hour. They're looking at their watch. They're leaving to their next meeting at a dinner. Nobody's looking at their watch. And yes, I'll have one more glass of wine and maybe mm -hmm. dessert. And I found when I had dinner with clients, boy, it's such a richer relationship. That's two hours. And I remember the first time I ever learned this, Dana Fricks, he was a managing partner for the DC office of Chadbourne and Park before they merged him with Norton Rose. And it was just so cool to go and have dinner with him and his colleague at Le Chaumière in Georgetown and just spend time building that relationship, learning their story. And it was just a magical experience that this is how you do client development. What, what, what do you think about that? Is that too much with clients? Should some, should it not be dinner? Just keep it to lunch. What do you think about that? Jay, what do you uh, think? All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll start over. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I mean, I it's hard, right? I, you know, I'm trying to remove my, for one, I don't live anywhere near clients. I'm out of the dinner game to a large extent based on where I live. However, you know, when I travel and when I do have an opportunity to interact with clients in that way, it is, it's, it's so powerful. The connection is so much deeper. To your point, Scott, you know, everyone's rushed at lunch, but dinner is oftentimes a different story. So I think that to the extent that, you know, you have the capacity to do that. And I know, you know, everyone's busy, both the, the you know, the professional service provider and the client, but there's something special about a, you know, a, a nice dinner, you know, with a, with a glass of wine or two to really, I think, allow for a deeper conversation and connection. So yeah, that's I, think, I think it's really powerful. And it's also something that probably is being done maybe less, you know, these days than it used to, um, which makes it a differentiated opportunity to, like I said, connect with clients at a somewhat deeper level. That's great. I have, 
Yeah, I have a point tally to throw out for you, gentlemen. Thirty-five points, maybe for a um, industry event, yeah. whether it's a small, you know, group or it's an annual convention. Because it's—I don't think it's as valuable as one to one, but it still gets you out of the office and the potential to meet several people and maybe then take somebody to dinner. So, absolutely right. And I think even walking the trade show floor, meeting people. Here's a vendor that could be a, a referral partner for you, also. I've really focused on developing referral relationships with people that know the people that have already earned the trust and the people I want. And even thinking outside of the box, going to a conference, who are those vendors that are here? Because they have to talk to me because they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're paid. And just building a relationship with people, it might not be obvious that they could put me in contact with people, at least getting to be on their radar, sharing information, LinkedIn. You know, Do you think that the billable hour with clients, do you think we should parse out time to referral sources or do you think that's just, and I know we're talking about with, you know, with clients right now, but what do you think about that? Like seeking potential alliance partners, those sorts of things. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the referral partners are the gift that keeps on giving, right? It's a, yeah. beyond just a single client contact. The referral partners, going back to what you said, though, at the on the trade show floor, those those vendors are going to re be really eager to talk to you, right? They want to talk to anyone that comes into the booth, and then they find out you're not a buyer, and then it, it cools off a bit. But that's right, up right. to you then to, to kindle the relationship and turn it into a referral partnership. I totally agree. I, as an introvert myself, I would much rather work through referral sources than have to talk to the prospect directly. But Jay, yeah, right. you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think that it can be. I, I think that you know you have to be careful. You know, there's a lot of people I've found over the years who, you know, are position themselves as potential referral sources uh, for you, but they're really just looking for you to try to funnel them business. But finding the right referral partners is really powerful. I know there are. Many lawyers, especially that we haven't really talked about those that may be smaller to mid-sized law firms who develop relationships with lawyers at, at big law firms who are very abundant and powerful referral sources for them. You know, big firms get lots of opportunities. I worked at a couple of very large firms. Every day, you know, there are tens of emails going around. Uh, the firm saying, "Hey, does anyone know a lawyer? Uh, you know, in this city, who could handle this matter?" Does anyone know someone who could be local counsel in this? So networking, I find if you're in a somewhat smaller firm, networking with lawyers at big law firms can be extremely powerful. When I had my own small law firm, our best source of new business opportunities were two lawyers at different firms who funneled us tremendous opportunities on a consistent basis. That's great, Jay. That's a creative idea. So let me ask you all this as we bring this to a close. If we could summarize this in three action steps that people can start to implement these ideas that you've shared, what would those three action steps be? Well, I think first and foremost, really know from a strategic standpoint, like what you're trying to do from a business development standpoint, right? Uh, are you targeting a particular industry? I mean, the more narrow and focused you can get with your BD efforts, the more opportunity you'll have. You know, we'll oftentimes talk about it, what allows you to be very contextualized and effective and targeted with your marketing business development is understanding the ecosystem of attention of your prospective clients. What do they care about? What are they reading? What events are they attending? And how do you immerse yourself in your ideas within those environments? So I think sort of a strategic understanding of what you're trying mm -hmm. to do is critical. And then I Great. think it's you know, thinking in terms of, you know, if we were to say, okay, there's two components that and two primary tools or tactics you can use to develop new business. One is business development, which I like to define as more personalized one-to-one -one interactions. These are things that we've been discussing primarily on this call, 
that don't scale, right? It's having dinner with a client. It's going for a site visit to understand a client or prospective client's business. Those are extremely important. And that's where you want to develop a contact list and have a good cadence and process for reaching out and interacting with people. And then the second component is marketing, which is scalable, which allows you to communicate one to many to your audience. So we talk about, you know, 20 to 30 key contacts. Well, what about everybody else? That's where marketing can come into play. Content create, posting on LinkedIn. That's how you have, you know, value-added touch points with your broader network to, you know, to stay visible, build trust from a distance. And, and I think that if you were to think in terms of, you know, what's my mix? Definitely a focus on business development, that one-to-one interaction, and then maybe adding some element of marketing into the mix. Understanding okay, the ecosystem retention and starting to create content, for example. So number one, understand the ecosystem and what your clients are interested in. Number two, understand that the BD side of one-to-one interaction that doesn't scale, know what that is, such as a client visit. Number three, the broader scalable marketing perspective, focusing on that also. Anything else, Tom, that you think we've left off that you think would be good for people to know? Yeah, number four is uh, documenting the process. I think that's the hardest part of all of this is to not, you know, coming up with the ideas and, and claiming that you're going to find the motivation later. I think that's the easy part. The hard part is actually sticking to the cadence and sticking to the process. So nature abhors a vacuum. It also abhors a process. So you have to do that hard work or none of it will ever get done. That's great, Tom. Good thoughts. And thank you for the bonus tip also. <laughs> the bonus tip. I had to get my two cents in. What that means yeah. is we'll have to have you back on again because you guys have great ideas. And it's always a pleasure to see you and to have you on the show. And so tell us then, we'll put all of your information on the show notes. So those of you that are listening, go to where the podcast is hosted, go to the show notes, and you'll be able to connect with Tom and Jay. But tell us about the offerings, the solutions that you have that you'd like for our listeners to know about. Yeah, sure, Scott. So, you know, my primary things I do, one-on-one business coaching, you know, helping helping lawyers build their legal practices is probably the easiest way to put it. Also do uh, marketing work for uh, law firms, primarily small to mid-sized ones, with a focus on helping them dial in their thought leadership strategy and, and PR efforts. Like those, are, those are kind of the main things that I'm doing. Tom, what about your areas of focus? And I focus almost exclusively on content creation for professional services firms. So anyone who's selling expertise and needs to convert that expertise into thought leadership. And then hopefully that thought leadership over time is converted into new business opportunities, which is the topic of our podcast, the Thought Leadership Project podcast. That's great. That's great. Well, Tom Nixon, Jay Harrington, thanks for being a guest on the show again. And I look forward to having you back on in the future. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.